Jesus, our living hope. The one who took on flesh to be like us. What mercy, what tenderness, what compassion. Jesus, you are the living manifestation of the mercy of God. Sympathetic to our weaknesses. You've walked where we have walked. Felt the pain we have felt. Betrayal. You know, you understand. And you took it all to the cross. Bearing it all on yourself. And for that, your Father has highly exalted you and given you the name that is above every name. And it's at that name that we bow this morning. Jesus, our merciful Savior, be glorified this morning on the praises of your people. Now through your Holy Spirit, continue to work in us, convicting us of sin, illuminating your word, giving Pastor Rick strength and wisdom and clarity, a boldness to preach as he ought without fear of what we think. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Father, thank you for your mercy manifested and poured out in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. I welcome you. I am so glad you are here today. We're going to continue our focus on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to review just a little bit. As Jesus started talking to the multitudes, 
he began to change all the price tags. It, describing what a disciple, a kingdom patriot, looks like. Now, most of you know the definition of a patriot is one who radically loves and defends his country. In this case, a kingdom patriot is a disciple who loves the king and his kingdom. Jesus describes the attitude of a person who walks with God and the benefits of following or submitting to our sovereign king. Jesus ushered in the kingdom, systematically broke down poor views of God, and shared what normal everyday life looks like living underneath God's authority. A life that looks quite different from what our world holds dear. Jesus talks, of, Jesus talks about a completely new way of living and a new way of thinking. In fact, it is based on a new way of being. Christ's message was clear. He did not mince his words. Jesus is offering wonderful news for the broken and for mourners and for the meek and for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God approves anyone who is totally dependent upon God for the kingdom is theirs. God blesses those who mourn over their sin for they alone will receive comfort. The meek are well off or fortunate. They will get the kingdom. They will rule the kingdom. There's wonderful news for those who are continually hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness, for they alone will experience abundant life. <laughs> the first four Beatitudes, which we have covered, shows the blessedness of one walking with God. And the last four, well, the four we're starting today, will show the blessings of one who relates to others well because they are walking with God. Today, Jesus talks about mercy. And you'll see it's a natural progression for a kingdom patriot. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Father, as we listen to your words and try to understand even the context in which you preach this message, we get excited, we get convicted, we get overwhelmed. There's so many emotions that hit us. Because in some ways, we know that you are describing what it means for your followers to listen totally to you. Our actions would change. Our, our mind would change. Everything would change. And there's some dissonance in our soul, Father. There's some scenarios that seem to shout at different times. And we realize that, well, we're not listening to you as well as we could. The enemy works hard in trying to deceive us. 
we ask you, God, that you would protect us, that you would give us a clarity, that we would hear your word, and that your spirit would teach us. We thank you, Father, for the scriptures. We know that that is your love letter to us. We know there are many other churches, many other places that are proclaiming your gospel. We pray for them this morning. We pray for some of our other brother and sister churches in this area, Lord. We pray for Grace Point and Meadowland in redemption. We know, God, that those congregations love you, and we pray that you would encourage their hearts today. We ask you, Father, that you would be with our teachers downstairs and you'd be with the many ministries that happen all throughout the week, that you would give us clarity and strength and that we would proclaim faithfully your word so that life change can happen. Lord, in some ways, as we continue on in this message, in the Sermon on the Mount, things get more convicting. Would you speak to us today, Father? Would you help us understand? Would you be merciful to us this day? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God approves of those who have the reputation of being merciful. For they alone are qualified to receive mercy. Let's try and understand this word merciful, which literally means beneficial or charitable. Mercy embraces both forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and the needy. Mercy extends forgiveness in spite of the offense. Mercy means a sense of pity, a desire to relieve suffering. I would say it's pity plus action. Merciful is not a laissez-faire attitude towards sin. Although many use grace and mercy interchangeably, it probably isn't the best practice. Let me try to help you understand this. Grace is a loving response when love is not warranted. Mercy is a loving response prompted by tragedy and helplessness. Grace is given to the undeserving while mercy focuses on the miserable. Mercy is the compassionate response to the wretched, the downtrodden, the backslider, and the fallen, regardless of their reasons. For the most part, mercy was undervalued in the Roman and religious cultures of the first century, the time when Jesus physically was here. The religious leaders were proud and judgmental. The Pharisees had no time for forgiveness or compassion, so mercy was seldom seen or extended. You see, the selfish or the self-satisfied, 
and the self-righteous do not bother to help anyone unless they think something is in it for them. Sometimes they even justify their lack of love and mercy because they are religious. <laughs> when Jesus was here, he clearly addressed their blindness. In Matthew chapter 9, actually starting in verse 13, Jesus called the publican Matthew to follow him. Matthew responds probably to the shock of most of the other disciples. And then Matthew throws a dinner party and invites all of, shall we say, his friends, which the Pharisees identify as scum. <laughs> I just like that reputation. Hey, let's have a party. I'm going to invite my friends. And, oh, that's the scum. Yeah, all right. Well, that's what happened. And what happened then is that there happened to be a conversation, and the religious went directly to Jesus and said, hey, why, why do you eat with the scum? Well, what's the problem here? Don't you understand that these people are basically unclean? And Jesus said this, very interesting. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. This theme continues. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees once again notice that Jesus is walking through a field on the Sabbath. And his disciples are hungry, and they pick some grain. And they get upset, these religious people, because the disciples are breaking the Sabbath or harvesting, literally breaking off heads of grain so they could eat them. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. <laughs> they didn't get it very well. They just didn't. They were focusing so much on, on the do nots of the Sabbath and forgot something really important. And, and Jesus basically said this, you wouldn't be so crabby if you understood the meaning of the Scripture. And then he repeats again, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Whoa, that really went against the grain of a Pharisee. Now, the scripture that Jesus was talking about was found in Hosea chapter 6. And I'd like to just turn there for a moment. But in Isaiah, or, or Hosea 6, this is the prophet calling for Israel to repent. Basically, quit fooling around and come back and follow Jesus. All the idols that you worship, all the different things that are going on are not satisfying you. So Hosea starts off, chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He is your God. And then down in verse 3. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on. Let us make this a priority to know the Lord. Get back in fellowship with God. Start walking with God. Do you understand how important this is? And then in verse 6. I want you to show mercy. I want you to show love. 
not offer sacrifices. I, I want you to know me more than I want burnt, burnt offerings. By the way, Hosea and Jesus wasn't saying, hey, forget all the things in the law of Moses. Those sacrifices were important. But what happened is you've got a perverted perspective. You need to understand that people are important. You're worried to follow all the rules. And what I want you to do, you can follow the rules, but you can also care for people. You see, the religious were blind and focused on religion. Doesn't that word great on you, religion? Trying to please God in our own way, trying to appease God, making sure we do enough so that God smiles or lets us into heaven. That's what most religions are. And Jesus himself confronted this. He said, hey, I want you to focus on a relationship. In fact, what Jesus was saying is that being merciful is the fruit of a relationship with God. And when he said that, it rocked their world. What? Are you kidding me? Like, this is important? You see, the Romans at that time thought mercy was the supreme sign of weakness. You'll love this. Uh, we have a little bit of this in our culture right now. Mercy was a sign that you did not have a right what it takes to be a real man, and especially a real Roman. The Romans glorified courage, strict justice, firm discipline, and above all, absolute power. So mercy had no place in their culture. So we can understand why the people were in shock when Jesus said that God approves, God smiles, God blesses those who are merciful in his kingdom. We shouldn't be shocked knowing what we know about God. All the way through the Older and New Testaments, we hear God described it's, it's exceptionally clear in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Some of you know a little bit of the Old Testament history, but this actually was Moses, and Moses was up on a mountain listening to God. It actually was his fifth visit up on this mountain. The children of Israel in chapter 32 absolutely went bonkers, rebelled against God. That was when they formed the golden calf. With just a few chapters afterwards, Moses is up on the mountain and God is re-giving him the covenant that he's going to bring down to these people. And what's exciting is he literally is talking to Moses. God is talking to Moses like someone would talk to a friend. And this is one of the few places in all of the scripture that God describes himself. The scriptures go back to Exodus 34 all the time. And this is what God says about himself. In other words, if we would just go to God and say, hey God, tell us, who are you? This is his answer. Exodus 34 verse 6. 
the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, you want to know who I am, Moses? I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Never Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. What a promise. In fact, if you are an Orthodox Hebrew, this would be one of your prayers that you would pray before you even got out of bed in the morning. You would begin to adore God. You would begin to, to remind yourself, oh God, you are rich in mercy. You are they begin brand new every morning, and then you get out of bed. Can you imagine what your day will look like after you affirm that every morning? The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. In Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4, when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. In James chapter 5, verse 11, James writes, For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. You know, God's message has been consistent. Not only is he a God of mercy, but he proclaimed faithfully to all of his family what's important to God. And in the book of Micah, the prophet says in chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord has told you, Israelites, what is good, and this is what he requires of you. It's kind of like, um, you know, the cliff notes uh, or, or the dummy's understanding of what God actually wants you to know. You, you know, you could write a book on that, right? That yellow book that you find in all these places. Um, but, but this is it. God just says this. This is what I require of you. This is what I want of you. This is what will please me. And here he says, to do what is right, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Now, Jesus Christ is the best example of being merciful as he was the most merciful human being. And, and let me say that again. Jesus was 100% God while he was on this planet. But he also was 100% man. He reached out to heal the sick, restore the cripple, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and even life to the dead. He found prostitutes and tax collectors, the debauched and the forgotten, and he drew them into his circle of love and forgiveness. 
Christ's mercy turned into compassion, which turned into action. I, I can give you numerous spots all the way through the scripture, but, but let me just focus on a few. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus meets a paralyzed man. They were actually traveling, his disciples all over, and he was teaching and traveling, and he was healing. But he saw a man that couldn't move, and he healed him. In Matthew chapter 12, just a little bit later, again, he saw a man with a deformed hand, which to many of us probably wouldn't seem like such a pathetic thing, but in a culture where, again, your hands were everything, you couldn't work if you didn't have your hands. He healed a man with a deformed hand. Now, if you go on, he continually does a lot of his healing and restoration on the Sabbath, which again drove the Pharisees absolutely crazy, saying over and over again, how can you be the Son of God if you break the Sabbath all the time? But Jesus was trying to share with them, not only was he the Lord or the Master of the Sabbath, he was trying to teach them, you got the Sabbath all wrong. The Sabbath is all about the restoration of your, of your relationship with God and with your soul. Do, do you understand? It's not how many steps you walk during the day. Do you get this, Pharisees? It, you work six and you rest seven. This actually is a gift from God. And he says, hey, you need to replenish yourself. So I'm giving you a gift. This is critical. This is important. So you use the Sabbath to restore. So you have a new perspective for the next week. So in Luke chapter 13, there's a woman who is crippled on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals this woman. Pharisees get all up in arms, but again, Jesus is trying to say, hey, wait a minute. In my kingdom, I'm restoring things back to where they are ought to be. And in my kingdom, there aren't crippled people, just so you know. Just a little bit later in Luke 14, there's a man with swollen limbs. And again, Jesus on the Sabbath heals this man. In Luke 18, just a little bit later, and it's all the way through the Gospels, but there's a blind man, and he's shouting out, and he's asking for God's mercy. And Jesus heals them. Jesus was merciful, forgiving those caught in sin. In, in John chapter 4, so many of you know the story of the woman at the well. She came during noontime because of her soiled reputation. And Jesus embraced her, and Jesus offered her, well, water that would quench her thirst forever. In John chapter 8, the religious bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. Interesting, because they didn't bring the man, but, but just the woman here. Tossed this woman right in front of Jesus and said, hey, the law says, boom, let's stone her. And Jesus waited a little bit. And he said, hey, anybody without sin, go ahead and throw the first one. The crowd eventually left. The woman was absolutely overwhelmed. 
It wasn't that she wasn't guilty. I'm pretty sure she was. But all of a sudden, this amazing teacher gave her mercy. We look how Jesus was merciful to his enemies, as we're going to learn a little bit more in the Sermon on the Mount. But how could you be merciful to even folks around, including soldiers that have just absolutely mutilated you for hours? And yet Jesus was. You see, the only way to grow in mercy is to walk with the Lord and allow the Spirit to change you from the inside. You see, if we're honest, we're going to see that our fruit, our actions, the way we treat other people shouts who is in control, who is in charge, whose voice we're listening to. Our life is an expression and a proclamation of who is on the throne. A life marked by mercy means you have experienced God's mercy. In some ways, I think this is circular. You are merciful because you have been given mercy. And because you've been given mercy, you are merciful. So being merciful begins with intimacy with God. The more time you spend with Jesus the more time you see others the way God sees them, priceless, invaluable. Being merciful means you respond. You become compassionate and take action. In fact, you are merciful when, and let me give you some examples. You are merciful when you see and respond to a need. It's interesting, in Luke chapter 10, so many of you know the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus was telling this parable, which absolutely shocked, again, those hearers, because realistically in their eyes, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious and they were the good ones, and and they would be the ones who pleased God. And Jesus told this parable and said, hey, (laughs) there's a man who was beat up, (laughs) left to die. And and there's a couple guys that came by, guys that you probably would think that should respond. And they didn't. And then a lowly, despised Samaritan walks by and says, hey, (laughs) that man is dying I need to do something. And so he bandages this man up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, or it would be a hospital in our case, and and say, hey, take care of this guy, and, and here's some money. And if there's even more need, that if you need to even take care of him more, or you need more money, I'll settle that debt when I get back. Amazing. Because realistically... When you are merciful, it always is inconvenient, I think. It always forces you to be sacrificial. 
And it always means that you take action somewhere. You know, I couldn't believe it, to be quite honest, studying this study of being merciful. And you get the news on Monday that a devastating earthquake hits Turkey. Two of them. Like, are you kidding me, God? Wow. I am not saying that this happened because we're in Matthew chapter 5. But you sit there and you're opening the scriptures and you're looking what merciful looks like. And on one hand, this devastating scenario or situation happens. It's hard to make sense of any of it at this moment. And we're going to get back to it. But you're merciful when you see and you respond to a need. And that's one of the reasons we sent out our email and tried to encourage you to consider giving toward this disaster. You also are merciful when you are kind to those who have treated you unjustly or sinned against you. You look in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis about Joseph. Joseph, by the end of his life, showed unbelievable mercy. The same brothers that sold him. He's over there providing for every need, gracing them, bringing them to a place of safety, going above and beyond, making sure that they're cared for. Mostly because he saw his God maybe differently than anybody else. You're merciful when you care for a struggling believer or one who disappoints you. Don't we often say, you should know better. Don't you know the consequences of sin? Whoa. And I'm sure all that is true. Absolutely. But you know, it's interesting in Galatians chapter 6, when Paul talks, he says, hey, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, you who are basically walking with God, when you see someone who isn't, they're making poor choices, would you go and tenderly and carefully and gently try to help them? You're merciful when you refuse to hear negative words about people. Not only is that wrong if you receive them, but you are merciful if you, well, what happened if this is true? What happened if she really behaves like this? Or what happened if he said that? (laughs) I, I don't know. But what I do know is mercy says, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mercy says, I'm not going to repeat this. Mercy says, I'm going to stop this talk. You know, you're merciful when you hang and share your story with the unredeemed. 
You're merciful when you talk about the life you have to those who don't have life. And every one of us have those people in our lives. You know, actually, I was feeling pretty good midweek. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm not feeling good at this moment, but I was feeling pretty good midweek. I sent a text to my son-in-law, Scott, who had a brother who was in Turkey for quite a few years as a missionary. And when I heard of all this, I thought of his brother, Reed, and I just shot a, a, a text to Scott, and I said, hey, Scott, do you know anything? Is, are any of Reed's friends or, or people, are, are, are they okay? So in other words, in my head, I'm going like, hey, I'm concerned about Turkey. Yes, I'm going to do something about this. And yes, there's a terrible situation that just happened. And I just was reaching out. And as I was reaching out, Scott texted me back and said, by the way, most of the people are all the people that my brother Reed knew are safe. And I would have been okay then just with that. But here's the part that rocked my world. He said, Reed is heartbroken because of all the lost people who have lost their At that moment, it hit me. I don't understand all of God's plans. I don't understand all of God's ways. We, we know that. But even though I was concerned about physical, I was concerned about health and strength and, and all that, protection for these people, Reed came back and said, hey, I want you to know. I live there. I know the hopelessness of those people. My heart is broken. And there was a little piece right there that said, Rick, you didn't even once, when you heard this, thought of lost people. And I'm sitting there. Are you kidding me? We're going on a walk last night, my wife and I. About two blocks from our house, we walk by his house and got a big dumpster. I've had conversations with this older man before but it just seemed like okay he didn't have family I, I don't know for sure but he's older and you know what hit me everything that I saw is that that man died his kids are coming in and clearing the house out I don't know if that's true but this time what hit me was I never, ever sure Jesus loved him. Not even once. He wasn't close. He wasn't even close to my house, but I saw him. 
I saw him sitting on his chair. I saw him. And maybe he knows Jesus. Merciful is sharing the story we have that has changed our lives. Because we don't know about earthquakes or dumpsters. We just don't. Paul talks about what walking with God looks like. In the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul just points out all the things that we have because of our relationship with God. We're sons, we're redeemed. It's just an amazing list. And then in chapter 4, all of a sudden he turns a corner and says, in light of your position in Jesus, this is how I want you to live. Chapter 4, two verses hit me. Verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Replace that, Rick, with being kind to one another, tender-hearted, which is the word for being merciful, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. The promise is, God approves of those who are merciful. Because you will be shown mercy. You see, the fifth beatitude here does not teach that mercy to men brings mercy from men. But that mercy to men brings mercy from God. If we are merciful to others, God will be merciful to us, whether men are merciful or not. You see, all the way through these Beatitudes, as you're following with us, God is the subject of the second clause. It is God who gives the kingdom of heaven to those who are bankrupt or poor in spirit. It is God who comforts those who mourn over their sin. It is God who gives the earth, the whole earth, to the meek. And it's God who gives satisfaction to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God is merciful to us by saving us through Christ. He saved us from God's wrath, and he saved us from the penalty of sin. He has saved us from the power of sin so that we have a new master and we don't have to serve sin anymore. And he certainly saved us from the presence of sin eventually when we shut our eyes. So ultimately, we will receive mercy because we are pitiful when we see Jesus and spend eternity with him. You see, mercy is 
meeting people's needs. It, it is not simply feeling compassionate, but showing compassion. Not only sympathizing, but giving a helping hand. Mercy gives food to the hungry, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, and companionship to the lonely. Mercy is therefore one of the loveliest and noblest of all virtues. If I could say it this way, I think Jesus says, in effect, the people who walk with me and come underneath my reign and rule, the people who are in my kingdom are not takers, but givers. They're not pretending to help, but are actually helping. They are not condemners, they are mercy givers. At this time, I'd like each one of us to spend some quiet time talking to God. I'm going to have the lights actually come all the way down. And for the next few moments, could I have my lights down too? Thank you. For the next few moments, I would like you and God just to have a conversation, that's all. Maybe there's some things you were inspired by today. Maybe there was some conviction today. I sure was. I didn't even teach the lesson yet. May God give us courage to be connected with him so that we reflect him better and we have his heart as we leave these doors today. Let's just spend some quiet time thinking, talking, and praying to God. Can I ask you this question? If you made some kind of decision today, 
God's word affected you in some way. Maybe there's some sin you confessed. Maybe there's an action. Maybe there's a new openness. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking, everyone's heads are bowed. Just raise your hand because I'd like to pray for you today. If you made some kind of a decision, if, if there was something that, that the Holy Spirit just pricked your heart, keep your hand up. Just raise your hand. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I, I know that as I open your word, there are times of great blessing, but there are also times of great conviction. Lord, for some reason, I bought into the enemy's lies so much of the time where if I don't take care of myself or if my comfort isn't the most important thing, then I'm going to miss out. God, would you give me, would you give us your heart and would we be characterized by people who walk with you and are merciful? Would that be one of our reputations, God? They are merciful. Help us grow in this. Open our eyes. We ask you to do this in your son's name. Amen.